welcome to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, how to get it just right. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Goldilocks reminds us of making sure we get things just right. And today we're going to be talking about the emerging technology world and all the nuances that are associated with it right in the heels of COVID and where we are living in a world of employees figuring out side hustles and alternate options, knowing that the employee's well-being is not always primary in the employer's mind. And that is predominantly a US-centric problem because we're one of the very few countries, if at all, the only one that has employment at will. Most countries look at their employees as their natural resource, their human capital, and you can't hire and fire at will. And healthcare is publicly funded. They're very mindful of the social pressures caused by unemployment and unemployment. And so employees feel, take, feel taken care of in most societies, but in the United States, we have created a unique problem for ourselves. And for the first time, we are seeing employees taking matters into their own hands and the traditional norms, as my guest and I were talking just a minute ago, the traditional norms of commitment and giving two weeks notice and doing things the right way is falling by the wayside because people have experienced the reality that the employers can turn off the faucet at any moment without reason, without justification, because something in the environment happened or they just changed their mind. And so employees are catching up very quickly. I have technology, I can learn technology and all the emerging technologies have democratized the way we can generate income and the ability to work as remote workers in a gig economy. All of this is coming to a confluence and this is the perfect time for us to have this insightful, interesting, and truly a goal-oriented conversation of how technology is affecting us and how technology is going to be shaping the world around us for both employers and employees, let alone the underlying society. So Kevin Harding, it is such a pleasure and honor to have you on this program, and I cannot wait for us to get started. Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Um, thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to this conversation. I am so honored that in between meetings, you are keeping your commitment, and thank you for taking the, you know, the interview from your car. We had talked about it and chuckled about it, but we do live in a world where we are going from event to event moment to moment, and this is where life happens, right? So as you sit back and think about what's going on around us and where we've come in the last two to three years, what emerging trends are you seeing with technology? And then we will get into how are those emerging trends affecting the way both employees and employers are showing up. I think it's a wonderful question. Um, 
one of the emergency emerging technologies or emerging concepts that that I see on a daily basis is cybersecurity and protection, um, protection of infrastructure, uh, and just knowing or having a plan and knowing what to do. Uh, one of the the logics that I use is it's not if, but when. It's not if we will have a power outage or a surge, uh, electrical surge or a, a cyber attack, but when it happens, what is the plan? That is such a critical point to remember because the more technologically advanced we become, we also become more vulnerable. And understanding that balancing that is critical. And most of the infrastructure, uh, technology and electricity and water and all of these foundational things are run by organizations that are not always current because they've gone from traditional uh, government-controlled public entities, right? And slowly becoming privatized are still partly public. And that space with limited resources in terms of money is always looking to do more with less. And security is one of those areas that gets compromised. So help our audience understand the risk of the infrastructure. So whether it's banking, whether it's credit bureaus, whether it's electricity, whether it's the sewer, it's the water treatment plants, the air traffic control, what are the vulnerabilities and how can these haunt people even though they don't control it and they don't manage it, but they're all, we are all impacted by it. You know, doctor, I, I think, um, and, and I just witnessed and experienced this yesterday. Um, I think it comes down to when a plan is not in place and something as simple as a power outage happens, the business comes to a grinding halt. Um, a dentist office cannot take patients in because they cannot get to their schedule book or they cannot uh, um, handle the incoming needs of their customers. And very simply, if a business owner or a managed service provider doesn't have um, spares in place or able to pivot from this outage, then they are forced to close the business for the day. And one of the things, one of the vulnerabilities um, you know, one thing that I, one of the vulnerabilities that I see is something as simple as changing the default passwords on network equipment once they're installed. And if people are not changing the default passwords 
of their network equipment, then whoever accesses that network remotely can configure it however they wish. And that is a risk. That is a risk to the data that is in the network. That is a risk on how the business owner is protecting that data, whether it's through encryption or whether it's through um, whatever means. But data is absolutely valuable. So if the equipment is not protected, the data is not protected, then the very service provider that is providing services for you could actually be put, putting you at risk. That makes total sense, Kevin. And one of the things I am seeing is financial institutions, credit bureaus, especially entities that are responsible for our very own financial and identity protection yeah. are failing. And while they are making huge profits, they really are compromising security. And what are some of the things we, we as consumers can't do much, but we as voters can do a lot. And yes. we as investors can do a lot. Yes. So what are some of the things that we in our voter citizen capacity and investor capacity need to know so that we show up in our self-interest? A lot of times we forget we play more than an employee and a consumer role. What about these other two roles and what do we need to know to function at our best in those roles? Because that way we can come at our self-interest from a slightly different perspective. I think as a consumer, if you are getting something and giving nothing, then you need to understand that you are the product. Your data is the product. And... Um, you have to realize, I, I think it takes time. It, it takes time and it takes prioritization to do the research about the product, about the company, who owns the company, and who the company is affiliated with. Mm -hmm. Um. I think at least you, you spoke about the culture of the United States. And I, and as I get older, I see that we were creators once. Mm -hmm. And we had the mindset and we had the knowledge, the skills, the abilities, the experiences, the expertise to create instead of consume. And I think me personally, obviously I cannot speak for the United States, but I can speak for me and my household that I want to become 
a creator instead of a consumer. So I do my due diligence and I research companies and I research products and um, I'm consistently on social media trying to raise awareness on different ways that we can protect ourselves. Brilliantly said. I am loving where this conversation is going. And you make a mission critical point. In the United States, we have become so comfortable being consumers. And we take such pride in articulating the fact that the whole world exists to serve us. And in the process, everybody else is laughing all the way to the bank. And yes. our bank accounts are getting empty, right? Yes. And we've also created a situation where United States companies are driving tech innovations, but most of those workers are foreign workers because our young people and our professionals are not going and pursuing STEM education. Yes. Our trend is more humanities and history and political science and marketing, but not the STEM fields. Yes. And as we are moving rapidly towards a completely tech-enabled world, I mean, for crying out loud, the movie industry is going to be producing movies with technology without actors. Yes. So we already are dealing with a social problem of how the corporatization of agriculture left farmers behind. Modernization and outsourcing of manufacturing has left manufacturing workers behind. Yes. Now, AI and robotics is going to leave the restaurant service industry and fast food industry workers behind. And we are magnifying the urban versus rural, urban versus suburban world. And very soon, even professions like accounting and finance are going to be replaced with artificial intelligence and robotics. And people who are going to have the jobs are people who can bridge and work with these technologies, but they are not our workforce. They are borrowed workforce, immigrant workforce in a yes. climate of such animosity towards immigrants. What does, to me, this sets up a perfect storm. What can we do to proactively address this so that we don't repeat our mistakes of past generations? Because doing the same thing and expecting a different result is the classic definition of insanity. How do we stop this insanity? And how do we help our students and both in the school system and higher education system how do we pivot to technology being part of basic literacy? I think it's a it's an amazing question. Um, I, I think I think of you know the the late Jim Rohn, and Jim Rohn says we stand on the books that we read, and I believe, and I seen this early in my career, that we have to take ownership. We have to create our own economy. And we create our own economy by taking ownership of our career. Um, like I, I started this conversation with the 
explosion or the emergence of a focus on cybersecurity. Cybersecurity as a um, as a field or as a a emerging technology, and then think of security as a later thought. So when I bring that to workforce development and I bring that, um, I am consistently in conversation with others speaking about, we have to have a purpose. We have to have a purpose in our career. There is a reason why we have our specific knowledge, skills, abilities, experiences. Um, there is a reason for the way that our lives are set up. And I think when I look at organizations like ISC Squared, I look at people are now handing out free cybersecurity programs because of the gap of cybersecurity. I, I think if I was to speak in terms of a naval vessel, when I look at maritime communications and I look at, um, or an airplane, people never thought about the catastrophe that could happen because of the cyber weakness of the equipment. So I think if I was to sum it up, we have to participate in our own defense. The way that we participate in our own defense is we own our career. We own our network. We're, we're not taking things for face value, but we're doing the due diligence and the due care for, for not only where we reside, where the platforms we use, and the career that we pursue. I, I think urgency and ownership is the two answers, or two items that I believe are missing and are the answer. Beautifully said. And as you're talking, what's coming to my mind is we are moving towards a decentralized workplace, mm -hmm. work from home, work from anywhere. Yes. And countries are giving digital nomad visas and employees are in different places, not necessarily even in home country. And so when people are working as remote workers, it's not just the U.S. infrastructure or that employment country's infrastructure. It's the entire global network and the interconnectedness and the resulting interconnected vulnerabilities at a time where we're all drawing lines and saying this is mine and the other is not mine, but the cyber world doesn't see it that way. Exactly. The cyber world is permeable, it's porous, and it flows back and forth because that's why it's called the World Wide Web, right? It's truly global. And we're also seeing cryptocurrencies and other types of um, medium of exchange coming into existence 
because people don't want to rely on financial systems and banks and the traditional means that is tied to central banks and interest rates and all the corruption with all the rate fixing. So we are living at a time where people are saying, you know what? We're going to find a different way. This makes it difficult for employers. And this makes it difficult for regulators who think that the world has these artificial boundaries, but the reality doesn't. So can you talk a little bit about what can we do to truly start functioning as employers, as regulators, as citizens of the world, as opposed to very specific, these are my borders, this is where I play mindset, because we can no longer play small. But it also comes down to collaboration Mm -hmm. in the sense that um, no man is an island. We can say, I, I think we have to, I think the word I'm looking for is interdependence. Mm -hmm. Although we, uh, there's one, one concept that I held on to and it speaks of happiness doesn't come from what we get, but what we can become and what we can contribute. And I think the ownership, the participating in our own defense, the, um, you know, if I was to think of a biblical term, it would be as for me and my household. I think having that individuality is very important, but being able to bring that strength, that conviction into a community. Community is answer. And that exactly is why, to me, this is the ideal conversation for our Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks episode, because it is not only being an individual. It's not only being about a community. It's about the knowledge, skills, ability, and the mindset to integrate the two and show up in the middle because at the intersectionality is where we can thrive. It's in the intersectionality that we can truly, truly build to last. So how can employers get involved in this process? Because it is not just an employee's responsibility, a householder's responsibility. Employers need to step away from pure profit-making because ultimately no business is in business for making profits. They're in business for serving a purpose to live their mission. And the byproduct is making a profit and profit distribution to the shareholders. So what can we do as employees to help our employers become more mission-centric, become more stakeholder centric because if they play small then employee base is forced to play within that smallness i think you're i think that's a fantastic question and the, and i would sum it up with nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care and i think when an employee if i and i'm not going to name any companies but if a, if a company has 145 
thousand employees. We have gotten away from the exorbitant medical expenses of the employee. When 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 it, it sounds very cliche to say nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, but un, unless you understand the suffering of the employee, the suffering of the family. Yes, the, the husband or the wife is going to work for your company, but what else can you offer and how can you stand out that will show that you care for the family? either through medical benefits, through education for the family, the, either the employee and family. I, I think employment is no longer, and, and I see this in luxury apartment complexes, they don't sell you an apartment. They sell you a tennis court. They sell you a swimming pool. They sell you all of these amenities. An employer has to distinguish themselves and dif differentiate themselves by the amenities that they can offer an, 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 an employee. I look at the unique selling proposition, or I look at um, how do you differentiate? If I have 10 cybersecurity companies, what are you providing that is different than the other nine? What are you providing differently for the families? What do you provide? Are you, are you able to provide amenities? that will sustain, empower, inform, and transform not only the family, not only the employee, but the family. What an insightful uh, case you're making, Kevin. And once again, this is a particularly US-centric problem because we're one of the very few countries that have private healthcare that the employer is responsible for. As a finance executive, having been a CFO, one of the things that is a reality is a US employee has a 35% markup on the base salary for benefits, wow. right? At 35 to 40% markup for healthcare and all of those other things that other countries don't have because other countries have public healthcare. So public healthcare is about everybody in the country is part of a pool. Risk is diversified. Therefore, the cost is as low as it can be. Wow. Whereas if employer by employer have to get insurance, then the pool is much smaller. Therefore, the risk is not diversified. Therefore, the rates go up. We don't think about it in the United States. We say if you have publicly funded health care, you're a socialist. But we are perfectly fine having a publicly funded military. We're perfectly fine having publicly funded agricultural subsidy. We're perfectly fine having publicly funded bailout wow. for corporations and financial institutions 
but we cannot have publicly funded services for the public that is paying the taxes. So I am also coming as an immigrant into this country and working in the international world and seeing this false dichotomy we propagate. How much of this is us intentionally shooting ourselves in the foot? A, because we don't want to hear another point of view. And B, we've all picked sides of red or blue, but life doesn't happen in colored zones. Life happens in a multicolored world that is rooted in reality. It's not myopic to political posturing. I couldn't agree more. So as we bring this immensely meaningful conversation to an end, if you were to give one piece of advice to parents who are raising children and the workforce of tomorrow, who are growing up with social media and who think that that is technology, that is still a consumer, that is still a user, they're truly not the creators of technology. What advice would you have for parents so that they can invest in their children being the solution for their own problems that are emerging? You know, that's a fantastic question. And as a father, I battle with this question all the time. And I think the, the answer would be parents need to participate in their own defense. One thing that I am trying to do is provide a free cybersecurity assessment for your viewers and your listeners. And I think it will help be able to identify how do I protect my, uh, my, my, uh, my small electronics, my, my phones, my tablets, my and computers. Um, I, my goal would be to protect them. And my goal would be for you to understand that what it's connected to and how it's connected to how it's connected because your children are getting on these devices and apps are owned by countries that use them for um i'll use the term a trojan horse while you're dancing the company is not dancing the company is uh has their own agenda for these applications. And I think parents need to understand what is allowed and what should be allowed and what should not be allowed, what should be restricted and limited and not restricted and limited. And the reason, not because of it being a do as I say, don't, don't do as I do or anything like that, but more in the fact of, I don't want to subject, uh, saturate my daughter in a, in a area where 
it will make her grow up too quickly. It will reveal things that she can't understand. She can't manage. She can't cope. And I, that, that will cause more problems. Mm -hmm. And she's already navigating relationships, face-to-face -face relationships that have their own complexities. So electronics, social media, electronics can either enable our progress and accelerate our progress, or it can actually stifle and confuse our progress. So the one thing I would say to summarize would be participate in your own defense and do a cybersecurity assessment today. Thank you so much for extending the free training to our audience. I will be definitely sharing that with our community. And you are a author. You're a best-selling author. You have written the book Hacked, co-authored with Albert, right? And Ma Maggie, I believe. Yes. So I am super excited to direct our audience to your LinkedIn site, to the book you've written, to the work you're doing, and also to the training you're offering. And true to form in your own authentic self, you are putting your efforts and your mission where your mouth is. And that is what we want to see from every professional, every organization around us. Step up. Take your individual skills and bring it to the community so that the individuals in the community become stronger and therefore the community becomes stronger. So thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much for joining this conversation. And we cannot wait to engage with you outside of this conversation so that we too can get the benefit of your knowledge, your insight, your expertise, and build a community that your children are going to be safe in. Yes. And build a community where everybody's children are going to be safe in. 